So we, we've been in, we're finishing out our, our our series for September, which has been entitled "The Road to Renewal." We've been we've been exploring the Book of Nehemiah, and uh, today's um, message is entitled "Restoring the Foundations." Restoring the Foundations, and uh, there we've been uh, in, in exploring this this story of Nehemiah. We've watched how God used him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And our journey together through Nehemiah has consisted of these four parts, embracing the vision, engaging the process, last week resisting the opposition, and then today we'll talk about restoring the foundations, restoring the foundations. Um, looking at Nehemiah as a whole, we, we see, here's a scenario that we've, we, we, we've observed, that the walls of Jerusalem, the walls of the city of Jerusalem, are broken. They've been damaged and breached by enemies who've conquered the city and carried off uh, into captivity the people of Judah. And, and and it's important to understand something that the walls of Jerusalem, as as depicted here in in uh, in Nehemiah's journey and 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 Ezra's a part of this story as well, that uh, these walls have both a practical and a symbolic function. Practically speaking, they represent uh, the defenses of the city. Uh, in ancient times, cities were protected from outside enemies by physical walls, and uh, defensively, these walls provided a physical barrier to enemies, as well as was brought to my attention last week, even wild animals. And they also provided vantage points uh, for watchmen to observe any, any attempted intrusion from the outside. And so from these walls, enemies could be both seen and resisted. Uh, however, apart from being practical, and they are intensely practical, these walls are also symbolic uh, because their state of disrepair signifies national disgrace. The, the people of Judah have become slaves to other nations, and although they're now free to return to their homeland, the question is this, return to what? Jerusalem is in shambles. Uh, in the New Testament, we move beyond the temple mentality because we realize in Christ now that God doesn't dwell in, in he doesn't live in temples made with human hands. He indwells people like you and me and the church. But at this stage of God's dealing with, with, with his covenant people, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the center of their spiritual life and the temple is the place, the place where God meets his people. And so, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the building of the second temple represent the renewal, get this, of the infrastructure, if you will, that facilitates the spiritual life of God's people. And, and if you think about it, I think it, even in our own lives, we can, we can observe how there's a kind of infrastructure, if you will, of faith in each of our lives. We have, our, we have our appropriate defenses. There is the building, if you will, of our life that consists of the people and the places and the things and the habits and the practices, the mindsets and, and, and what, what have you, that, that represent the framework through which we live out our Christian life. And sometimes on, on the part of our infrastructure, our walls become broken. Our defenses can be breached through crisis, through sickness, through relationship problems, uh, through loss, through grief, through pain. 
sometimes the places, the people, or the institutions that have played a role in our lives, those things shift and they change. And sometimes we relocate and find ourselves having to reestablish ourselves. Sometimes, for instance, look at uh, what happened with us. In, in somewhere in the middle of March, around March 15 or so, uh, this thing called COVID-19 brought life as we know it to a screeching halt and it brought this sudden change to the way that we worship and we find found ourselves having to ad, uh, adapt because this thing threatened if, if we allowed it to blow a hole in our spiritual defenses and maybe for some people that was the case but by the grace and the mercy of god we've been able to utilize the current technology that god has graced us with to repair that breach and to enable us to find a lifeline a means of maintaining that vital connection with one another that helps us maintain a vital connection with god but often like israel and judah we through our own rebellion disobedience or neglect can find ourselves in a state if you will of captivity after God has done so much for us, still, sometimes we may subsequently experience a, a kind of disorientation, not unlike the people of God are experiencing here in the Old Testament. And we ask ourselves in the words of Psalm 137.4, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land like this? And Nehemiah realizes this, that, build, that rebuilding the wall is one thing. Restoring national Pride is certainly a, a worthy goal. Restoring the physical defenses of the, of the city of Zion, that's important. The rebuilding of the temple is important. However, Nehemiah understands this, that his work will not be complete unless the foundations, and here I'm talking about the spiritual foundations, are restored. There is a recovery of their life in God that is the key to genuine renewal and restoration because you can rebuild the walls in the temple and still spiritually be a hot mess. But Nehemiah realizes that the rebuilding and the restoration of the spiritual foundations, that completes the project. As I think about contemporary Christianity, particularly in America, uh, I, I fear that much of what we do doesn't really facilitate renewal and restoration and wholeness. We, we take people who are disoriented and hurting and wandering uh, because of their brokenness of their lives or whatever is going on, and we entertain them. We help them to feel better about themselves. We make them happy and we inspire them. Now listen to me very carefully, because if you're not careful, you can misconstrue where I'm going with this. But if you listen to me very carefully, I think you'll understand the truth that's embedded in what I'm about to say. Sometimes when I am disoriented or discouraged, I, I don't necessarily in that moment, the first thing I need is maybe not to be encouraged, and I certainly don't need to be entertained. Sometimes the first thing I need to do, depending on what's going on in my life, is I need to repent. Now, I'll just give you a nice pregnant pause here to let you think about that and see in your opposition to what I'm saying because it sounds negative. <laughs> but listen, 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 stay with me. There are times when I am broken that I don't need a Band-Aid. I need surgery. I don't need a bandage. I need deep and radical change on the inside. When I'm disoriented, I don't need platitudes. I need a plan. I, I, 
I need to examine my life. I need a systematic program, a, a set of disciplines, a method, if you will, for rebuilding the broken places in my life. And this plan will encompass the restoration of the foundation of my relationship with God. And often that, that represents a kind of back to basics thing. It's getting back to, to the foundational concerns of our spiritual lives. And as we read Nehemiah, we see that the, the, the first part of Nehemiah's memoirs in chapter 1 through 7, they relate the, the, the story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem despite uh, intense opposition that we talked about last uh, a couple of weeks ago by various groups, including some Jews who had resettled or remained in the land. And the first memoir, the first part of it, concludes by repeating the list of returnees found at the beginning of the book of Ezra. And then this is followed by the high point of the stories in chapters 8 through 10, where we'll be camping out today. And it, it, it represents, it's, it's, it's a covenant renewal ceremony, which begins with the reinstitution of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this, this, this covenant renewal ceremony uh, it's not like a Sunday afternoon service at somebody's church. This thing goes on for 24 days. And it climaxes in this great national, national confession in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, an actual community document, a kind of contract, if you will, is signed by the leaders committing themselves to obedience to specific aspects of the law of God given through Moses. So it's, it's getting them back to their foundation, back to basics. After two more lists of the repopulated people of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, the book of Nehemiah concludes with the second part of Nehemiah's memoirs, which uh, describes the consecration of the wall in, in chapter 12, verses 27 through chapter 13, verse 31, and then some final reforms in chapter 13. But the fuse that lights the spiritual reform here is the reading of God's word aloud to the people of Ezra, uh, by Ezra in chapter 8. Look at chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 1, Nehemiah. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the law. Now, we, when, when we met live at church back in, back in the old days, remember those days? Um, we'd be there from 1030 to about 12. We used to be 1231. We got, we got a little tighter about 12 o'clock and you know uh, hour and a half you know two hours but they're in church here from daybreak till noon something like six hours and then look at verse five and six Ezra opened the book all the people could see him because he was standing above them and as he opened it the people all stood up Ezra praised the Lord the great God and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice something very important here. And this is a key connection that we need to keep in mind. The, the word of God, the reading of the word of God, you notice how the word of God invokes or evokes, if you will, worship. 
And then look at verses 7 and 8. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabithai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, that's a bad brother there, Hanan, and Peliah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Now, you notice here that there's, there, there's the reading of the word that evokes worship, but there's also the giving of meaning. There's the interpretation of the word of God to make it relevant and meaningful and applicable to the lives of God's people. Great 17th century Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote that the activities of Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8 are on account of a solemn religious assembly and the good work that was done in that assembly to the honor of God and the edification or the building up of the church. There, there's, there's no magical mindset to the word of God here. If the word of God is to build you up, if the word of God is to build up people, the word must, if the word of God, let me put it like this, if the word of God is to build up, it, it must be broken down. It must be interpreted so that it can be understood and being understood, it must be applied. And so I think that chapter eight gives us the first component of three that have to do with restoring the foundations, the first key to authentic renewal and restoration, and it is this. It is restoring the centrality of the Word of God to our lives. Uh, many of us can testify to the fact that in those vibrant seasons of our Christian life, the Word of God occupied a large space in our lives. We read it with interest. We studied it fervently. We went to Bible study. We sat through sermons, even long ones like mine, and with our Bibles and our notepads on our laps, and we took notes and we marked our Bibles and we got the tape or the CD and we actually took it home, took the, the, the Bible home and read it and revisited the text and tried to, to work it into our lives. And what did that word do? It transformed our lives. We, we hid the word of God in our hearts that we might not sin against God and that word sustained us. We fed on it and we grew like we were on Holy Spirit steroids. And then when we went through seasons of testing and trial and tragedy and despair, it's that word firmly planted in our hearts that sustained us and got us through it. And then in the words of earth, wind, and fire, something happened along the way. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. In the case of Judah, they've been in exile, physically separated from the law, from the temple, from the priests and the Levites, and sometimes for us, we find ourselves in situational exile, sometimes even self-imposed exile. Sometimes the word is at our fingertips, and yet we don't open it. The word is, is, is right here, but we don't read it. Listen, beloved, if your family is broken, if your life is broken, if your foundations have become shaky, if you're wandering in the wilderness of some sort of self-imposed spiritual exile, the first thing that you've got to do is to allow the Word of God to occupy a place of centrality and priority in your life. Realize that reading, studying, memorizing, listening to the preaching and teaching of the word. Those are, that's all part of a necessary set of disciplines. You do it because you realize that it is vital to your 
growth in your relationship with God. Let's look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of, of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. And this brings us to our, 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 the second key to restoring the foundations of our lives, of our spiritual lives, and is this. The second key is this, getting real with ourselves, with God, and with others. This is essentially about repentance. Now, the word repent is this religiously charged word that often is attributed to, to holier-than-thou Christians and religious zealots and bigots who wag their finger in your face and say, you better repent, repent. You know, guys that are standing on Slauson and Crenshaw with a big sign that says, repent for the end is near. And we, 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 we kind of push that word into the, the realm of, of, of irrelevancy because of some of the times, the way we see it used, and sometimes it's used as a weapon to, to, to beat us over the head. Um, but it's a word, and I've said this before, and I say it often, the word repent or the term repentance is something that we need to make friends with because it is a good word. If I were in church today, if, we, if I were live before you today, I would tell you to turn to your neighbor and high five them and, and then get down on one knee and do a somersault and then tell them this, repentance is your friend, your best friend, maybe not your BFF because you won't need repentance forever, but for this life, repentance is your best friend. In, in the New Testament, the word, uh, the Greek word uh, for repentance is the word metanoia, uh, and it conveys this idea, the idea of a change of mind that results in a complete change of course or, or a complete 180-degree life change. And, 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 and John the Baptist in, in, in the Gospels, we see he prepares the word, the way rather for Jesus by, by preaching this message of repentance. He's telling you, you got to change the way you're thinking. We talked about that term paradigm shift. A paradigm is, is the model or the, the framework through which we view reality or life or, 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 or our value set. And, and a paradigm shift means that all of a sudden we see things differently. And so therefore, it represents a new way of thinking, a, a new perspective. And that new way of thinking and that new perspective, guess what that results in? A new way of living. And so in the context before, his repentance is graphically demonstrated on this large scale as the people gather together and they assume the traditional Hebrew mode of mourning and contrition, which is to put on sackcloth and to put ashes on their heads. Sometimes when we don't feel quite so humble, there are things that we might do to help put us in a humble frame of mind. That's why sometimes getting down on your knees to pray, even though you can pray sitting in your chair, sometimes that is a, a, a gesture of humility that... that, that that alters and affects our mindset. And so they, they, they put themselves in a humble frame of mind. But the problem, you know, for a lot of us, it's difficult because we spend so much of our energy in life trying to be cool, trying to look good, trying to feel good about ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and yet, listen, follow me carefully here. Don't, don't go off to the left or to the right. Stay right on center with me here. At times, the reality, what the reality of our condition calls for is that we feel bad about ourselves. Yeah, I said that. 
and you can quote me. Look around you in the world today and observe the kind of havoc and destruction wreaked by those who have no capacity to feel bad about themselves, even when they're behaving and performing badly. And you, and you notice the use of the word confession. Now, God knows, and they, they all know, the things that they have done and they've, they've participated in, the things that their forefathers have done. But they come together and confess. And notice this, they don't do it, they don't do it just a few trite words. They do it with a kind of, 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 of rhetorical flair. They tell the whole story goes on and on and on as they recount the story from where they were, what God had done through uh, for them, what they had, how they responded, where they went astray, what happened to them, and where they are at this present moment. You see, what, the, what's the point I'm getting to here? There is no substitute for being brutally honest and being real with God, being honest with yourself. And, and, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are blessed and highly favored, and you are the object of God's love. You are uh, his beloved in whom he's well pleased. Yes, you are, absolutely, and I've preached and thought that for years and years, and so you know where I'm coming from with this if you know me. But sometimes there are certain areas of our lives when, we, when we're not living up to our potential, where we're not living up to, to what we've been taught or what we, we know. And so there's no substitute with being real with God. Telling it like it is, yeah, God, this, I know you love me, and I know all, I am in Christ, I'm a new creation in Christ, I am saved, and on my way to glory, I am, I am, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law, all those things, absolutely, but yet, this, 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 this part of my, of, of the foundation of my life is, has got a breach in it, and it's shaky, because maybe I missed it here, or maybe I took a wrong turn there, or maybe I, I was thinking, my thinking wasn't straight on that, or maybe I wasn't taking fully into consideration the you know, what your word teaches about that, or maybe I didn't, hadn't taken the time to find out, or maybe no one had told me. But being real with God, being real with yourself, you know, you know just, you're just sitting up and telling yourself, I, 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 I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful, but you know what? In, in every area of your life, you're probably not wonderful, because I'm not. And sometimes I would tell myself, you know what? You've got a problem in that area, and it's time to allow God, by the work of his Holy Spirit and the application of the Word of God, to deal with it. And see, it would seem, from coming from our cultural mindset in this, part, this, this time in history, that to, to this, this kind of real would be humiliating. But the truth is that this kind of real is ultimately liberating. And so in verse 36 and 37 of chapter 9, look how gut-wrenchingly honest uh, they, they are about their plight. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. There's a herd mentality for you. We are in great distress. Sometimes we as well are enslaved because of our sins, our failures, our missteps, our wrong thinking. And so, what we have so far, we have the importance of the restoration of the centrality of God's word and then 
getting real with God, ourselves and others, is the key to renewal in our lives, the renewal, the restoration of the foundations of our lives. But the third key to restoring the foundations is this. Number three, making and keeping commitments. You said, oh, I didn't know he was going to go there. Well, I went there. Look at chapter 9, verse 38. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, our, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Uh, I was pondering the theological significance of this term, binding agreement, and I, I came up with a very deep exegetical, um, expositional theological definition of, of a binding agreement. It's agreement, an, an agreement that we're bound to observe, to keep. It's an agreement that we're obligated to keep. Simple as that, really binding agreement and in this case notice what they did now this is spiritual stuff right but they even put it in writing now here's the agreement in chapter 10 verses 28 and 29 the rest of the people priests levites gatekeepers musicians temple servants and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of god together with their wives and all their sons and, and daughters who are able to understand all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, a servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God, of the Lord our Lord. Now, they make a bunch of promises here. Notice the promises. Remember, there was a song in the 60s called Promises, Promises. I think it was a Bacharach David song. Promises, promises. Here they are. Number one not to give their children in foreign marriage. Is this a racial thing? No, this is a, this is a spiritual thing because for the Israel, Israelites, the, the, the nations around them are pagan and heathen, and when they give their kids in, in, to, to their children in foreign marriage, that, that paganism and, that, and that, that heathenism comes back and is bred back in their, to their community, and God is trying to fashion for himself a people that are particularly his own. Amen? Um, not to buy and sell on the Sabbath because they're under the, the law of Moses to share in providing food for temple sacrifices, to share in providing wood for the altar, to bring their first fruits to the Lord, to bring their firstborn to the temple, and finally to pay their tithes. Basically, their commitment is summed up in the last sentence of the chapter. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now, again, notice that this agreement is put in writing. And see, a lot of us, don't. we don't even want to make verbal commitments. <laughs> but they enter into a written contract about the things of God. Now, now, later, when Nehemiah comes back later in the book, he finds that people have been violating some of these promises, some of the terms of, of the agreement. And so he threatens in one place to lay hands on, and I'm not talking about, you know, there it is. I'm not talking about that, you know. I'm talking about lay hands on, 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 on those who are, who are doing stuff like camping outside the gates of Jerusalem in order to sell stuff on the Sabbath, you know. And then he wails on, on some of the folks that are intermarrying uh, because that they've promised not to do that. And he finds out that Tobiah is, 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 has been given a room in the temple and is apparently living rent-free, and, uh, and he has to do a little bit of an eviction. But get this. As strange as it might sound to our postmodern ears... This written agreement, this binding agreement, forms the foundation for their spiritual renewal and the restoration of the spiritual foundations of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Here's the question of the day. 
What does this say to us? How do we experience renewal and restoration in our lives, even in this season that we're going through? And I heard so many of you, I love hearing you all talk because we've, we, we call it crazy, we call it dark, we call it dismal, we call it challenging, we call it weird, strange. This is, you know, again, as that brief video share with us, 2020 has been that kind of year. It's a year that we'll never, none of us will ever forget. We thought that, you know, well, I mean, there are other years that have been uh, eventful in history. I remember 1968 was a big one uh, when I was growing up, you know, but that 2020 will go down to history books as being the year that that, that was, and uh, you can fill in the blanks, right? Uh, but here's the thing. How do we experience renewal and restoration in our lives of our spiritual foundations, even in this season? And is, again, the three things are clearly before us. Basically, number one, we restore the Word of God to its rightful place in our lives. We get real with God, with ourselves. And others. That means we stop praying them childhood prayers. Dear Jesus, bless me today. God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I am. This is how I feel. Help me with this, right? And then finally, we dare to say, I will do this, or I will no longer do that. But 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 I hear I hear so, someone saying this. Uh, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to make a commitment I can't keep. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I hear you. On the other hand, here's your problem. This is what you got to deal with. You will not likely keep a commitment you don't make. Sit with that for a moment. We achieve great things in life through making great commitments. Sometimes and oftentimes commitments that may seem beyond ourselves, but we make these commitments in faith and we trust God to empower us to keep those commitments. Three things about commitment. Number one, commitment forces us into action. Number two, commitment works against procrastination. And number three, commitment provides accountability. My friends, I dare you in Jesus' name to make a fresh commitment today to God. Some of us are old enough to remember that oftentimes when we went to church, a lot of services concluded with altar calls. And I'm not just talking about that if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm talking about times when the word was preached and then we went down and we, we we prayed and we were prayed over and prayed on and we what was preached about that day and we we made commitments to God we made we made decisions we sang I have decided to follow Jesus and we 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 sang as you're all on the altar and we gave stuff to God and we we made we walked out of that service with a fresh resolve to to live life a new way and to do things differently to think differently because we applied the word of God to our lives I dare you in a loving way in Jesus name to make a fresh commitment to God uh, so, 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 so often I believe that God is, is just waiting for us to commit ourselves to a certain course of action so that he can join us in that and bless us in that. But the problem is that we are 21st century Christians and living in the United States of America, and we like to keep our options open. 
and we we attribute some sort of false honor to our failure to make commitments in that we attribute it to our integrity because I'm not going to make promises unless I'm sure that I can keep them and I don't know if I'm ready and I, and I get that however sometimes when God shows us the reality of our situation for instance possibly the reality of some sin in our lives that has taken hold of us or or uh, or, or, or or some way of thinking that is destructive or some some resentment that we're harboring that is killing us that is robbing us of spiritual vitality the only profitable profitable response is to say god with your help today i make a commitment this day to turn from that thing and i'm going to need your help but i know this that you promised in your word that i can do all things through christ who gives me strength and y'all try to use that verse for a lot of stuff. I can, I can score score a lower, lower golf game. I can pass the, I get a higher score in the SATs. I can, you know, whatever. But if you take that verse from uh, Philippians in context, Paul is talking about living uh, in contentment no matter what he goes through. And so that, that 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 verse applies to the fact that when God has called upon us to do something, when we make a commitment to follow Jesus and do something, then we do that by faith. We can do that because Christ comes alongside and us and comes and strengthens us and sustains us through it so we can do all things through him. And guess what? When you make those kind of commitments, so some of you know this because some of you journal, some of you write, you might want to put that in writing, that binding commitment, if you will, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get you moving, whatever it takes to get you back on track, whatever it takes for you to experience the restoration and the rebuilding and the renewal of the foundations of your spiritual life so that during these shaky times, you're not standing on shaky ground, but you can, you can, you can sing like the, the words of the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the freest, uh, sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name because it's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. But you want to stand solid and to do that you do whatever it takes and you make those make that grand commitment that bold plan whatever it takes for you to experience healing renewal or restoration what are you waiting for whatever it takes to experience the rebuilding of the broken places in your life maybe it's a commit a simple commitment to follow christ today maybe it's a commitment to stop committing a certain sin that's messing, that's tearing you up. Maybe it's it's a commitment to attend church regularly, to, to give generously and consistently, to read your Bible, to pray, to quit worrying. Are you willing to enter into a binding agreement with the Lord? The message of Nehemiah is that God is a God of renewal. God is a God of restoration, and he's able to restore the broken down spaces of our lives. He's able to renew our souls. He's able to renew our marriages. He's able to renew our families. He's able to give us a renewed vision for our lives and, and a renewed sense of hope and purpose in this life. And he can do it and is doing it even amidst this pandemic. In fact, the rebuilding process, the restoration process, the renewal process has already, already begun in, in many of our lives. While this thing is still going on, we, we, we can't wait for the vaccine or for the therapeutics or, or for herd immunity, if you will. Anyway, we ain't cows. We're sheep and we follow the shepherd. Amen? And, and, and as I wrap this up, I, this comes to mind this morning that as we seek to 
experience the, the renewal of the foundations of our lives, realizing that we follow, we are sheep, we're following the shepherd. He's leading us. The Lord is my shepherd. Remember that, amen. And uh, we shall not be in want. He makes you to lie down in, in green pastures. He leads you beside the still waters. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Get, get this, the Lord, my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. And the Lord, my shepherd, restores, renews, resets. The Lord, my shepherd, refreshes, rebuilds, restructures. The Lord, my shepherd, reestablishes. The Lord, my shepherd, reinstates, re renovates, and rehabilitates. The Lord, my shepherd, revitalizes, reconditions, reconstructs. He resuscitates, rejuvenates, and reinvigorates my soul. Amen, somebody. So listen, as we move forward, we're going to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to do that work in our lives, to restore the spiritual foundations of our lives, of our families, of our, you know, there's a lot going on right now in society. And we are dealing as a nation, as never before, uh, we're dealing with the fallout of, of, of historical racism and bigotry and uh, systemic racism in the United States of America. And I don't care whatever lying wonder wants to tell you it ain't there, uh, it's there, right? But I'm going to tell you the, the, the other side of that. And I'm going to say this from the perspective of, of, of our community as, as people of color, African-Americans. Listen, we have to fight and advocate because black lives do matter. And black lives are precious to God. And black lives should not be trashed. We're not, we're not like cattle to be shot and beaten and killed. But here's the other thing we can do. This, this is the other realm of activism. We can take responsibility for the risks renewal of the spiritual foundations of our community of our families of our children of our of of, of our scene because we have allowed as as people of color as, as african americans I, I can't speak for the latino community i can't speak for me i can speak for the black community we have allowed our spiritual foundations we have allowed the oppression to break us we must not allow that to happen the one thing that we have power over before we have power over anything else is we have power over our community as far as rebuilding and restoring the spiritual foundations. And that's why the church has to move beyond just giving people the spiritual pabulum of feel-good religion, which is no more than slave religion. Because feel-good religion just keeps people showing up and giving and keeps them happy and doing their little jig, but it doesn't invoke or provoke that deep change that will bring systemic renewal to our the, the very fiber of our family, the, the, to our neighborhood and our community. We have responsibility for the gang issue in our own house. We have responsibility for, for, the, for the crime and the sin in our own community. There's stuff that we got to be cleaning up while we're, while we're marching and while we're advocating and while we're, while we're protesting, and we should do those things. But the spirit, we, but we're responsible for the, the restoration and renewal of the spiritual foundations of our community as well. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we thank you for our, this journey we've had through Nehemiah this month, and we've learned a lot. And we see in our lives, we see as Nehemiah did, we, we, as we survey, we see that there are broken places. There are, there, 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 there are parts of our lives, parts of our community, parts of our families that are in shambles. And there's a rebuilding work that needs to happen. So, Lord, as we assess that, we've seen that we've seen the challenge. We've embarked upon the task. We've faced the opposition. Today, we realize the the core issue. We need we do we need an economic renewal. We need we need more money. We need we need to get our our financial house in order. 
we, we need good jobs. We do. We need, we need to be meaningfully and gainfully employed. Uh, we need good physical health. We need to, we need to be in a position to, to, to eat properly and take care of ourselves and live, live, live healthy and live long. But more than anything, we need for the spiritual foundations of our lives to be intact. And often those are broken and, and breached. Our defenses are, are compromised. Lord, this morning, in the name of Jesus, would you help us to, to, to restore the centrality of your word to our lives? Would you enable us to be brutally and ruthfully honest with you and with ourselves and even with meaningful people in the world around us? And finally, would you allow us to make, to, 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 to make and to keep commitments to you? And that means making commit and keep commitments also to others in our lives that are meaningful and important. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name because we know that your work is a work of restoration. Lord, as, as I've said so many times during these six months that we've been doing this, I, I realize that it is by your grace we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So I, I believe that I know that we will get through this season and we will come out stronger and better than we went in because during this season you're doing a work of renewal and restoration. And so while we're on that road to renewal, would you keep our minds focused on you a couple of weeks ago, somebody sang, woke up this morning when my mind stayed on Jesus. Lord, we're distracted in so many ways. And we got these things, Lord. And all day long, we're bombarded with text and chat and Instagram and, and TikTok and everything else, all these different messages. And we're getting to Facebook and we're getting, oh, so much. Lord, may we not allow that content to shut out the most vital content in our lives, which is the word of God. Help us, Lord, this season to, 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 to get back to some, some of the basics that, that made us, some of the basics that have sustained us. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.